Hello and welcome to the Power by Rock podcast, where I'm going to be speaking with author, filmmaker, tattoo artist, and all-around good dude, James Spooner. James is the man responsible for the 2003 documentary on punk rock and its racially divided history called Afropunk, and has many other projects previously released as well. But he has a new book coming out on May 19th, 2022 called The High Desert, which is an autobiographical graphic novel about growing up in Apple Valley, California, and becoming a punk rocker. The book is a firestorm of radical the radical new music scene at the time growing up with separated parents and dealing with racism and acceptance in white america in the 80s i'll be speaking with james spooner about this incredible story right after this you're listening to the powered by rock podcast with your host isaac coolman the powered by rock podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock fans around the world for decades we want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. All right. Hello and welcome to the Powered by Rock podcast. Today, I'm genuinely excited to have a real conversation with a person whom I have an immense amount of respect for. And I'm going to use today's ep episode to basically practice my listening skills and learning what I can to be a better person because today's guest is not just a fan of music, but he's an advocate for the black experience within the punk rock community. His graphic novel, his new graphic novel, The High Desert, had me remembering little instances of shitty things that I saw growing up, up in the Midwest when it came to intolerance and racism. Uh, obviously, it was a different experience for me from, you know, not being black in that experience. So that's why I'm going to be talking with James about. And today I'm honored to bring James Spooner on to, to the talk show to talk about his new novel and about his experiences with punk rock and rock music throughout the years. Hey, James, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So I will say in preparation for this interview, you know, I was putting in, I was kind of putting myself in an interesting position because, you know, I could make the idea of this interview uh, you kind of have two ways to go about it, right? So it can be light and superficial and kind of, you know, be lighthearted and joke about stuff and, you know, reflect on the past as if like, you know, oh, that's the past. But in reality, it's not the past, right? So the other thing was basically let's dig into the actual concepts that you're trying to, you know, express the racism that permeates either indirectly or directly through this country and in the punk rock scene as well. So, you know, it's not always a comfortable conversation to have. But it's always important to talk about, I think. So whether it's right or wrong and whether or not people will, you know, really want to get into that and, and talk about it, you know, I, I see it all the time on Facebook. But um, what, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I think we should dive into it because that's kind of pretty much the content of the, of the story that you're trying to, you know, tell in High Desert. And I don't think we should shortchange it because I think the black experience in America has been washed over for so many years and made an anecdote by too many people for far too long. So I'm here to listen and learn, James. So with that said... Uh, I'd like to start by just having you first kind of set up the concept of putting this book together. And secondly, speak about the real life experiences that you had that actually made this book so important to putting out to like this year. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and uh, just for the record, like uh, I also can have a good time, so we can, we can do both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not um, going to be all pain and misery. It's not going to be like, you know, a no. lecture or anything, but yeah. Um, all right. So uh yeah, so I grew up in this small town in Southern California, about two hours from LA. It's really the kind of place that you would only um, know of if you were driving from LA to Vegas or back, because um, that's probably where you, you know, get a ticket from a cop or something, uh, <laughs> right around that Barstow, Victorville area, where you'll yeah. stop to get gas or something. Um, 
but people live in those towns and uh, I was one of them. So, um, you know, I lived there from kindergarten till ninth grade and uh, right around like middle school, I started to, you know, develop my, as everyone does, starts to develop their identity, you know, get into their little, uh, put themselves in little boxes and stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, it was punk rock that appealed to me. And uh, what I didn't realize is that this was supposed to be like a whites only space or something, <laughs> you know, um, because the first uh, punk I met was black. So, yeah. um, and, you know, and so he hit the story of my finding punk, uh, befriending him and uh, really finding myself through uh, both the, uh, the adversities that came with being a person of color in this very white uh, racist community and not just racist in the kind of like microaggression racist, but yeah. like literal like Nazis who, you know, were drawing swastikas on the trapper keepers and stuff. So those kind of kids and then, uh, you know, also finding the beauty and the magic and the power in DIY uh, and the DIY scene. So um, it's in a lot of ways a love story to punk rock, as many of my projects are, but it's also a critique, which also is something that I'm known for doing. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things, you know, nothing in the world is perfect, right? So there's there's great things about certain things, and then there's super not great things about the, the exact same thing, right? So, you know, I think one of the one of the main points you're talking about there with the, the neo-Nazis and all that stuff and then drawn swastikas, um, I think we'll get to it a little bit later, but you actually had directly like inter in, like direct interaction with these people on a daily basis. One of them was actually a member of the band that you were in, in high school. So how does yeah. that kind of, like, how do you kind of look at that and say like, I know that you don't think that it's like, okay now, but or whatever, but like, how do you kind of reflect on that from, you know, now versus then? And would you have changed some things about that, uh, that relationship? Yeah. See, the, the thing is, is like, um, as detailed in the book, you know, I, um, I made a friend, I, I, I made a friend who, uh, is a, another person of color. Uh, he grew up since kindergarten with, uh, his white best friend, right. Who, uh, turned out to be a Nazi, you know, and it wasn't like, I think that the thing that, it, that I try to do in the book is show uh, to give humanity to everybody and um yeah. and give like an understanding you know so it's not just like this evil nazi character but it's like a kid who i hung out with who i was friends yeah. with who had his own troubles who probably wouldn't have been a nazi if he didn't have um racist influence from his family you know yeah. and keep in mind we're talking about like 13 14 year olds you know so it's not like our brains are like fully developed or we know who we are. We're just trying stuff out, you know? So yeah. this particular kid was trying on his Nazi pants, you know? And, um, and it was a real conflict for him to, yeah. uh, to have now two good friends who are black and, uh, you know, to be trying to espouse these white power, uh, 
like ideology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, so the you know the first time I went to his house, uh, I I go into his like room, and uh, I mean it's graffiti everywhere. It's you know clearly he's not parented. It's completely like trash, and uh, there's a giant swastika flag on the wall, and uh, he had like a you know on the fridge in marker it was there was a circle like a circle slash with africa and it said niggers go back to africa you know (laughs) so i'm like whoa uh you know yeah um you know and i and i really felt like for the first couple weeks because he was so kind to me he was like as if none of this stuff was here you know yeah and he um i really felt like this was like an elaborate con that like eventually I'm going to, they're, they're just, he's just being my friend so he can take me somewhere and beat me up, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, and I will say that eventually he, that, that, that didn't make those problems didn't, I mean, those conflicts didn't make sense for him and he had to make choices, you know? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, when I, when, when illustrating that uh, in the book, I wanted to not just have these like, you know, evil Nazi guys. Like, yeah, there are some messed up dudes, um, both in real life and in the book. But uh, I also wanted to show uh, them as complicated humans who have the ability to change, you know? Yeah, Um, Yeah, I mean, it's not like Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars where he's just like evil, evil, evil concocting schemes. It's like there's kids involved. And when you can get kids involved, they're usually just impressionable, right? Like they just think yeah. whatever their older people around them are doing, that's what they should be doing. And if older people around them are, you know, scumbag Nazis, then they're going to think that that's what they have to do. And, and I remember specifically in, in a couple of the instances, he's like, Oh, you're not those people. You're like, you're, you're cool. Like you're not the people that we're talking about. It's like, no, actually, like you're talking about everybody when you say that. So yeah, yeah, and that I mean, and that's like a big. That's not just like uh, Nazis who say, you know, like, oh, well, you're not, you're like the Nazis would say, like, oh, well, you're not a nigger, you're black. Yeah. But you know, in more of mainstream society, more like everyday racists um, or people who don't see themselves as racist would say. Um, <clears throat> Well, you're not like black, black. You yeah, know? you're cool. You're into like punk stuff. And I think and... that's even more racist when they say you're not black, black, because it's like, what does that actually mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. what do you mean by that? I mean, like, yeah, it's like at least just you know, at least with the the Nazis, you know who you're dealing with, and they yeah. know who they're dealing with. So, yeah. um, but they're essentially saying the same thing, and uh, those are the kind of aggressions and microaggressions that uh, I certainly grew up with, and. Um, address in this book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things I found pretty striking, it wasn't so much like I'd never thought about it because uh, I I assume everybody has this kind of thought was that one of the things that you actually mentioned in the book was that you wish you were white at some point. Right. So you're like, Mm -hmm. man, I wish I was white because I I believe you have, I think your mom is white and your dad is black. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so like, I think a lot of white kids actually wish the opposite. Like, oh man, I wish I was black because they think that they can be like a rapper or something cool, like a basketball mm-hmm. player. It's like, but it's like the completely opposite. Like they're, they're trying to take the glorified media experience and boil it down and say, I wish I was black for that reason. Whereas like you were just saying like, I just want to like, I just want to have like a 
a normal like get to high school kind of lifestyle right like you don't want to be bullied or 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 anything like that and so i was curious like what kind of uh i know this is kind of like a can of worms question here but what kind of uh what were you thinking about like when you were thinking like hey i wish i was white what kind of things do you thought would be improved in your teen years had you been born white and i i know that this is like a a weird question but like what kind of psyche or what kind of what were you actually thinking when you were when you were kind of thinking that i think it's a good question um I think that like every person of color who grows up in the United States uh, has this uh, understanding that the hardships that that uh, they are born into uh, simply because of their race or um, ethnicity like wouldn't exist if they were white, you know. Um, So that idea of I wish I was white is uh like a desperate plea for um for like safety you know for like humanity and uh you know when i'm like 13 or 14 in the book and and i say that um it's in this moment where i feel like man if uh you know, I, I think it was like right after um, my mom's car was trashed or something, you know, and it's like, this wouldn't have happened if I was white, yeah. you know, like I could just be a kid in this scene. I didn't, ha- I wouldn't have to be a black kid in this scene, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's an unfortunate part of like being a like quote unquote minority that I think you know, there are probably women who are like, man, I wish I had the privileges that men have, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, poor people, I wish I had the privileges that rich people have, you know, it's, it, it's really in essence that, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then, you know, just to comment to that kind of reverse of like white people who, uh, you know, have these fantasies of what it would be like to be black, you know, like they're really, you know, uh, Greg Tate has a book called um, Everything But the Burden. And I think that that's like, in its essence, what you're, what you're talking about, you know? Um, I think even like Chris Rock had a joke of something like, you know, you wouldn't trade me for any amount of money in the world to be black for a day or something like that. It's like, you wouldn't do that. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, depending on your uh, situation, like, I, you know, I recognize it's like I'm light skin. I don't have the same, um, I don't have the same, like, fear of the police that, like, some of my uh, siblings do because they're much yeah. darker skin than me. Um, but, uh, you know, simply walking down the street, they fear for their safety. Mm-hmm. Um and that, you know, and that's, that was my experience, not necessarily with the cops, but with just white people, you know, just walking down the street, me and my, my other black friend and having people yell, you know, the N word out at us like every day on the walk to school, Yeah, you know, and it's just like, really? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that, that reminds me of a line from one of the guys in the, uh, the documentary Afropunk that you did where he said, you know, whether I quote unquote act black to like all the black people that say that I'm not black because you know I'm not acting the way they want me to act 
Uh, he's like, every day I walk out and I can be arrested by the cops for no reason or whatever. He's like, I'm you're part of the black experience or the black community because you were born black. Like you can't change it. And, and, the, and you're going to get treated that way by America and everybody in this country or whatever for just being black. So it's like, you can't escape it. So like, you just have to accept that, but no matter how you act, you're part of that experience. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, for me, even, uh, you know, being mixed race, being uh, light skinned, like even when I, even though I don't, you know, I haven't had the experience of like, you know, the white lady pulling her purse away when I walk into the elevator with her or whatever, I've, I've seen it. And when I see mm -hmm. it, 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 it pings me too. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like my daughter, she's like a day in the sun darker than me. And she was, uh, I remember she was in elementary school and they were playing like your mama jokes with each yeah. other and this dark-skinned black girl like said something that like just tore this white kid to shreds you know with his with with her diss or whatever and um he just responded and was like well at least i'm not a nigger and these are like 10 year olds or something you know wow and uh and that's not daughter, the 80s that's like what 2015 was or like two years ago yeah <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> that was like just before covid yeah. So, um, you know, so my daughter who was just there was like deeply hurt, you know, yeah. because it wasn't said to her, but it, it might as well have been, you know, yeah. that was, yeah, I mean, people don't realize the effect of a single word used in, in a situation, right? I mean, that the, the word is so loaded itself is that it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Like it even offends a lot of like white people that are around. It's like, that is, wow. You can't just say that. Like you should be punched yeah. in the face now. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, I told her you should have chopped yeah. him in the throat. But <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about how the music started to come into it because in the book, you can definitely tell like there was a definitive change in attitude and mood once you went through and found punk music and then you kind of found this identity and, you know, obviously you found uh, a friend who, who is a person of color in that same music scene as well. And it was, you know, I don't, I don't want to give the whole book away and detail everything, but I mean, just the graphic part of it, by the way, is, is, is so phenomenally well done that I think anybody who, you know, buys the book is going to be happy that they bought the book because it's just yeah. so well put together. And, and the, the, you know, it's, it's essentially a giant comic book for people who understand what graphic novels are. Um, but explain kind of what parts of the punk scene actually appealed to you the most and what parts kind of made it, you know, kind of uneasy. Obviously, we talked about this white supremacy and the whiteness of it. But was there anything else where you were just like when you're like getting into it because you even changed your hair, you changed your clothes, you did all that kind of stuff. And I totally bought you know, in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what were you kind of thinking like, hey, here's the parts that I really like and here's the parts that I wish that, that we could do some stuff? Because as you said, you like to critique the scene as well. Yeah. Well, you know. Going back to like a time period before I found punk, I, uh, you know, it's like my parents were divorced. Uh, we lived in a very low income uh, town. We were like two hours from LA. So we were like, there was, you know, void of culture. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of like anger boiling up in me, not to mention just regular old puberty, you know, what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. and I was a new kid at the school. So it was like, I had all of these, uh, you know, frustrations and things that I was upset about, but it didn't really like come out. I wasn't like an angry kid. I was, you know, I was a fun loving kid. Um, 
but I did like fine skateboarding and that was like my uh, avenue into subculture. And in the early 80s, uh, punk rock, like in the, in the early 80s, skateboarding soundtrack was punk rock, you know? Yeah. So uh, as detailed in the book, like I, I got this video called Ohio Skate Out and it had all of my favorite skaters skateboarding to all of these bands that were on the SST label like the big ones, you know, Black Flag, Descendants, Blast, you know, Firehose. And, and I heard this stuff and I think anybody who's skateboarded has had this experience where you watch a video and then you like try to emulate that skater. And especially when you're 12, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, man, I have to have this song so that I can like complete the emotional <laughs> the whole vibe, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, yeah, so I lived in Panama at the time when I found skateboarding and we moved back, uh, back to town to Apple Valley. And like the first week we just went to the mall and I bought a black flag tape, a descendants tape, a sex pistols, you know, a couple, I didn't get sex pistols until a little later, but, um, you know, I just kind of got the stuff that was on that, that yeah. video. And it spoke to me. It spoke to me in a way that, like, you know, Paula Abdul or Bobby Brown, who were popular at the time, just didn't, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like that moment where you go from being a, 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 a cutesy kid who listens to Weird Al to, like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm grown now and I'm yeah. listening to this, like, other kind of music and yeah. for me that other kind of music was you know when i heard black flag and like keith morris is screaming i don't care it's like yeah that's what that's what how 13 year olds feel i don't care yeah, you know exactly yeah i think for um, me it was when i heard rage against the machine for the first time i was like holy shit this is a game changer for me it's like they hate yeah. everything about everything. I'm like, this is awesome. This yeah, is it's, it's the same. Like, it's that same energy. And I think every generation, you're you're probably just like a few years younger than me. So, yeah. um, so for me, it was that. You know, by the yeah. time Rage came out, I was already like, I'd listened to Inside Out. So I was like, oh, what's he doing rapping now? And that was yeah. Zach's band yeah. before. <laughs> so, um, you know, so but every generation has that. Whether it's you know. It'll be Green Day for some kids, and then it'll yeah. be Nirvana for the next generation, or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, it was Black Flag and Circle Jerks and that kind of stuff. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think that one thing, like, that punk tends to do is kind of unite people of, of non-privilege, right? So, like, if you're privileged, you probably aren't going to associate so much with punk because you, you kind of have everything you need. Um you know, if you've got problems at home or something like that, that's, you know, you, you could be privileged and still have problems at home and stuff like that. So there's going to be like, I don't want to say everybody's broken, but everybody's got their, their issues and that's, what's kind of connected. And that's why I was like, you know, my parents were divorced. I, I kind of did my own thing when I was in school and all that stuff. And that's why I was like trying to get everybody I knew into punk. Cause I'm like, this, this stuff's awesome. Yeah. And then obviously pop punk blew up a couple of years later. And I was like, well, I guess that just happened to be good timing, but it wasn't like, they, they wouldn't really accept it until, you know, oh, Rancid's on the on the radio. Okay, well, not even the radio, like MTV Late Night or whatever. And like, mm -hmm. well, these guys aren't quite our scene. And then all of a sudden Blink-22 comes around. And they're like, oh, punk's awesome now. And I was like, okay, yeah. well, I've been <laughs> trying to tell you this for a while. But um, what I can say is like, you know, 
uh, you know, I didn't grow up, I grew up super poor. I didn't have the financial state, but stability of, of, you know, my friends or anything like that. But, you know, one thing that I saw in, in, in the, in the movie, uh, the film Afropunk was that, you know, basically, you know, even if, in my situation of financial instability and, and all that stuff, uh, basically, uh, I can't remember the person who said it, but there was a person in that movie that said, you know, you know, you're a punk, you're white, maybe you're poor today, but basically you can go put on a suit and a tie or whatever, and you can go get a job tomorrow. And that was like, wow. Yeah. That is the essence and the explanation for white privilege in America versus, you know, people of color, they can't just change it like that and then go get a job just because, you know, uh, it's a passing phase or whatever. So for like, for me, you know, it's, it wasn't a phase for me. It was kind of like the, I guess the dressing up part and, and trying to act more punk was a little bit of a phase for me as a young kid, but the, the scene in itself and the music in itself, I still listen to it to, to this day. Um, so I think for most people, it kind of is a phase. Whereas for, for people of color, it's not a phase. It's like, you're, that's probably, it's not going to be like your life forever. Like you're not gonna be poor forever, but the, the essence is you kind of have to live with that because you can't change the color of your skin and you can't just put on a suit and tie and then be accepted all of a sudden by white America. So kind of explain to me, like, do you have, have you run into this like with yourself or with friends of yours or anything like that, where the, the, obviously the privilege of white being white in America is that you can just change like that and then be accepted right back into all the social norms that anybody would pretty much ever have, unless you're like, you know, a meth head or something like that. But as long as you haven't done any sort of crazy shit in your life, you're pretty much going to be okay to be like, Hey, this is just a phase. You grew out of it. You're back into the the normal stuff, but it's not like that for everybody. Can you kind of explain or kind of explain your experience with that? Um, so we're talking about privilege, right? Yeah. What, what was the last piece of that, that question? Well, I was just saying, so basically like, you know, you know, white people can just kind of flip a switch. And if they really wanted to, again, just put on that suit and tie and go get a job and be kind of accepted. And, and they'll just see everybody will just look at that as a phase of growing up. Whereas, you know, sure. people of color can't flip a switch and put on a suit and then all of a sudden be white. Right. So like they yeah, can't just go out and get that kind of privilege. So kind of expl- speak to me from your perspective on this, because I know I can't live a day in your shoes on, the, on this topic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess from a personal uh you know, from a personal perspective, it's like I took, uh, like, when I when I got into punk rock and I and I started really getting into like the the DIY ethos and really just like believing in what like I bought in. You know, I fully was yeah. just like, yeah, this is like gonna be my life. You know, and uh, like my luck. And my privilege is that I got to go to uh, a high school in New York that was, uh, you know, world famous for art, and uh, and I got the foundations to, um, you know, to kind of get me set me in motion for doing art, you know. But it was punk rock and DIY that really uh, taught me, like, gave me the confidence to believe that I could just do this for a living, you know? So I've never had the experience of like, oh, I'm just going to put on a suit and tie and forget this punk rock stuff, you know? Like I've, you know, I've just, I was a, I was a DJ party promoter. I was, did Afropunk and, uh, as a filmmaker and became a tattoo artist. So I've just always like never like had a resume or anything. Um, so, you know, 
that's certainly an experience that other people of color are going to be like, yeah, I'm going to take off, take out my piercings and uh, maybe I can get a job, you know? Yeah. And they still have that other piece that, you know, they'll never be able to like wash away their, their ethnicity, you know, or just the color. So yeah. um, I think that, you know, I think that it's, it was really well said. I think that was Ralph Darden in um, Afropunk, who was just like, you can put on a suit and tie anytime you want. You're in college now. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't think I can say it any better than him. Yeah. And, and you know, that's one of those things that like, kids grow up and, and yeah, sure, like some kids will have a phase or whatever. But like you said, it wasn't a phase. It was the the fact that you could actually build this thing. You could do something for yourself, this DIY style of community. And, and it's, it's this buzz that you can kind of create when everybody works together. It's, it's totally different than like, Hey, I don't know. I don't have any future prospects or anything. Cause you had found a group of people within punk and within that kind of scene that were willing to show you, like, there's things that you can do out there to make a difference in, in life. And I, I mean, I, I, from memory, you made it. You know, um, I'm sorry to cut you off. I will no, say, uh, you know, there's something about this thing about privilege that you're talking about. You know, I was watching uh, that Wu-Tang uh, TV show a few months ago. Okay. And, you know, it was detailing their their uh, rise to becoming Wu-Tang, you know, and it was around the same time that I was in high school, like in the, in the uh, early nineties. And I was just watching it and I'm like, you know, these kids, like they have to sell, they, they feel like they have to sell drugs and, you know, and I'm like, man, I was thinking to myself like, Oh, like I was in New York, you could get an apartment, like a shitty one, but you could get an apartment in, uh, in Manhattan for 400 bucks, 500 bucks back then, yeah. you know, Staten Island was probably way cheaper. So, why are they selling drugs? And then I had to check myself because I'm like, oh, but they, like, I didn't have to do anything because I only had to come up with that 400 bucks. Yeah. But they're supporting their whole family. Yeah. Six kids, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're help, like, dad's gone and they're helping their mom out with the other kids, you know? Yeah. And that's like this kind of privilege mentality that, like, a lot of us don't consider when you know somebody's like well you know why don't you just do this and it's like you don't know these you don't know people's lives you know yeah. and, they, and there's much more to the experience you know it's like poverty begets pr poverty yeah so if you're um if you are you know a privileged white kid from connecticut you're not gonna you're not gonna have like the the background to to understand that like they can't just go get go to college. They can't yeah. just do anything. Like they can't yeah. just do something. Like oh, I can't work at McDonald's while going to school, and then hopefully you can support everybody in your family on McDonald's. It's just it's just not a, it's just not re yeah. realistic, yeah. you know. So um, so you know I have to check myself on that, and yeah. I'm always willing to do that, you know. Yeah, and, and one thing separate kind of issue. Like my wife's whole family's Mexican. She's Mexican, um, born and raised in Las Vegas, but. Her family, so like they're, it's very weird when they talk about immigration because they're like, oh, they should come here illegally. And I'm like, 
you didn't come here legally. Like, why are you saying now that everybody has to follow the rules when you didn't follow the rules to begin with? Like, it makes mm -hmm. no sense that they're like, oh, why can't they just go through the system? It's like, do you not remember why you came to the United States in the first place? How are you forgetting this part of your history just to kind of like be political on one side or the other? Like you're completely forgetting that human experience that you had 40 years ago or whatever. It makes no sense to yeah. me. I'm like, what is going on in the world? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like humans are deeply flawed and we, yeah. you know, and, and our perspective is like as far as we can see. Yeah. So it's really challenging. Yeah, regard. for sure. <laughs> Now I say I will say that there's a lot of kind of very specific moments in in the book The High Desert that are kind of specific to you and your experience, but very relatable to an even larger audience. You know, when we talk about things like children of divorce, latchkey kids, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. not being able to be you know fit in or be bullied or whatever. I'm curious, like when you wrote this book, did you ever consider like if white audiences would relate to it, or did you even care if that happened by any means? Um. I think that there are universals and I understand that. And I, and the other piece uh, is that like, unlike with Afropunk, you know, Afropunk, the film, it only has black voices. Yeah. And yet still white people could get something out of it if they uh, wanted to hear the perspective of black people. You know, it's like, if you mm -hmm. want to hear what black people are saying when white people aren't around, you know, watch Afropunk. That's yeah. that's what's happening, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, uh, with the book *The High Desert*, the majority of the characters are white, yeah. you know. So I think that there's a lot that uh, I, I I took. I tried to get into the mind of all of my friends at the time. Yeah. Um, a lot of them were white, you know. I even took the perspective of like the um, like there's a moment with the the Asian preppy girl who likes me, right? Yeah. But then she can't. Her friends won't let her like me because yep. I'm weird, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's like a line in there like her parents, like is she crazy? Her parents will never let him in the house, you know. Yeah. And that's like a very Asian experience that like, you know, I uh, my girlfriend is Asian and she kind of fed me that, you know, like. Yeah, this is what these kids would would probably be saying, you know, yeah. back or whatever, you know. So, um, and not to I, mention to 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 so, to some degree in in some Asian households, like you, they don't want their daughters to be dating anybody in high school because they're like, you're gonna be, you're setting yourself up for future success. So don't ruin it now, right? Sure. And there's also like, uh, you know, there's people who like are, uh, you know, Koreans, they don't want their kids to date Chinese people or yeah. what, you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not even yeah, just yeah. like, you know, there's all kinds of prejudice against one another, you know? Yeah. But I, so I tried to, um, get into the, uh, the experiences of like, you know, okay, so here's my white friend who has a handicapped brother and what is her experience, you know? Yeah. All of these things that, aren't necessarily specific to race, you know? Yeah. So I do believe that this uh, has a lot of universal themes in it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was great. Like the, the, the Melody character, I think that was her name, Melody and her brother. That was a, a great dynamic. I mean, just that she's like teaching him all these like song or showing him all these songs and like heavy metal and stuff like that. And he's like loving it. I'm like, that's hilarious. Like, you know, I wish, you know, 
when I grew up and, and then your special needs kids in my school, it was like, everybody has always wanted to, it's not like they were like outright being mean or anything. They would just like joke around with them, but then the kid doesn't know that they're joking. So it's almost like you're teasing them. And it's like, it's a lot of that. And it's like, you, you kind of trying to accept them, but at the same time, they, they never can be fully accepted by the group yeah. or the group. They don't want to be accepted by the group. So there's like some, it's just a weird dynamic. So like they kind of just want to be left alone, but also fit in at some point. So I think that what you put in there with, uh, with those two characters was very, uh, I, I think, uh, I guess kind of on, on the head right there. Cause it was, it was a very cool experience to see that from that perspective. So, yeah. Um, I mean, like, so, uh, Melody and Mikey, uh, Melody is, you know, the love interest of the book and, uh, Mikey is her, her twin, um, with down syndrome yeah and um you know in real life it was a little different he what he didn't have down syndrome he has some other kind of uh mental disability but it's kind of hard to draw it without like i i felt like i was when i tried drawing it it felt like i was making fun of him you know gotcha um, so i felt like everybody knows what down syndrome looks like and some and the same basic experience is going to apply you know yeah um and like in the book, it's like he's not really part of the scene, but he's just like the kid who's there, you know. Yep. And and uh, that's how the guy was, you know, at my school. He would just, you know, he'd show up and he'd be like, "Iron Maiden," you know, and, <laughs> and we'd just be like, "Dude, this guy's wild." You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, it's like he always wanted to hang with us, so we were, you know, it's like we're all the freaks over here, so you be yeah. part of the freaks too. You yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. It's awesome. So the the other part of the music that I want to talk about is, you know, as an avid Chuck Berry fan myself, I find it completely natural to hear somebody say that rock and roll was invented by and for black people, like rhythm and blues, all that stuff, right? Like it all came from blues and it all came from, you know, that experience of, you know, playing guitar, having hardships, singing about it, right? Mm -hmm. However, the modern reality is most almost completely the opposite, right? So I think most modern forms of music were made uh, off of some form of music that black people created and made popular back in the twenties, thirties and forties. Right. So my question for you is, do you think there's like a bit of sickness in America where we kind of co-op culture from people of color to create a different version that appeals more broadly? Or do you think that it's a strength of the American culture that the music, fashion, food, and so on is accepted over time and becomes part of the landscape for, for lack of a better word? Probably both, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's like um, one of the guys in Afropunk said, it's like uh, black culture is a gift to America, you know? Yeah. Um, conversely, um, whether we're talking about from slave narratives to blues to jazz to rock and roll to disco to hip hop, funk, techno, like really every genre of music that uh, is popular uh, stems from black misery. Yeah. You know, it stems from, uh, this, this, uh, need for black people to communicate with one another in a way that only we can understand. Yeah. And eventually other people start to understand it and then black people move on, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it used to be a lot more drastic where the sounds completely changed. You know, the, the, the splintering of blues was like jazz and rock and roll. Yeah. And like, you know, 
from there, there's all these like offshoots that keep going, right? Um, and hip hop has like held on, you know, there's clearly, there was a time where like white rappers were like a joke, you know, it was always yeah. just like, either they were the Beastie Boys and they were like comedy, right? Yeah. Or yeah. they were like taking themselves seriously and everyone was just laughing at them, you know? Yeah. But now there's whole lanes of white rap that like nobody's tripping, right? Yeah. But um but there's but black folks have held on to it, you know, because the 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 sound keeps evolving, you know? Yeah. It's like right when everybody's like, okay, now we're doing the jiggy thing, right? It's like <laughs> black folks like flip it and then you know, and it's trap music or whatever. I yeah. you know, I don't know the exact trajectory, but like it's always black folks just uh, continuing to recreate sound. Um, and it's just like part of our legacy, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think that music is like a, uh, it's almost like a, an allegory for, for uh, the rest of our society, you know, because, what people are doing when they're like, you know, oh, music's for everybody. It's like, for the people who made it, it feels like colonization, you know, feels like gentrification. Oh, there's yeah. neighborhoods for everybody. It's like, well, then why, why are we, why do we have to leave? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And why like, can't we afford this place anymore? It was fine before. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what rock and roll ultimately became where it's like, you know, can you imagine the people like Chuck Berry, people who like the the founding of the founding fathers and mothers of uh, rock and roll, watching it in the seventies, like sixties and seventies, and being like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Whoa, 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 where are you guys going? Oh, damn! Yeah. Like, it's not even for us anymore." Now they're saying we can't even be here. Yeah, you know. Um, and but so by the time that you know you and I are born, like, rock and roll is fully of this white thing and yeah. you're, you know, and we might let one in the door, you know, yeah. one at a time. Okay. Jimi Hendrix. Okay. He's gone. Okay. Well, let's wait a little while. Okay. We have Sly. We'll let Sly in. Oh no, but he's kind of funk with it, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, Oh, Lenny Kravitz, we'll let him in, you know? And it's just like, it's crazy. It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's funny. Cause you did mention Jimi Hendrix and it reminds me cause we were talking about, you know, black, black people and, and people of color making the music for, themselves to communicate to each other and express the hardships mm -hmm. and stuff. And I remember a line from the movie white man can't jump. And uh, Wesley Snipes was talking to Woody Harrelson's character. And he's like, uh, Woody Harrelson puts Jimi Hendrix in the, in the tape deck and he plays it. He's like, man, you can't hear Jimmy. He's like, what do you mean? I'm listening to him right now. He's like, yeah, you can listen to Jimmy, but you can't hear Jimmy. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that line always cracks me up. Cause I'm like, I mean, it's, it's true because while we can understand what he's saying and, and, empathize with hardships that he might be conveying you don't quite get what he's actually saying because you're not in that position and you don't understand the the life story behind everything that goes into a Jimi hendrix song which is you know how well, that goes all, all musicians that. are like that but it's specifically you know a, a person of color a black thing for for that that type of uh rock and roll yeah. and and that would go back to that um uh, you know that i want to be black thing right yeah. where you've got like these kind of white girls doing TikTok dances or like whatever. And like, you know, 
just rapping out like the n-word and you know like yeah it's just emulating videos and it's just like i mean all we can do is sit back and laugh because otherwise what you know it's just yeah it's gonna be painful you know? otherwise <laughs> you gotta tear everything down it's like this is crazy yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> You don't want to go to war over like a Snoop Dogg song, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much all the questions. Do you have anything else that you kind of wanted to talk about before we go? I know obviously we'll put some uh, show notes to the the book and, and some other stuff of, of yours and, and everything that we can below the episode. Do you have anything else that you kind of want to talk about before today or leave anything with the listeners before we go? Yeah, I guess like if I'm just going to like plug something, um, for anyone who's listening uh, in, at all the summer of 2022, that's what we're in, right? 2022. Yep. <laughs> for anyone who's listening during the summer of 2022, uh, check out my um, website, spoonersnofun.com. And if you click on the events link, I might be in your city. I'm traveling quite a bit. So um, you can, uh, and a lot of my events uh, I'm doing with bands or I'm having other, uh, like exciting, notable, um, authors or musicians that I'm talking with and stuff. So, uh, you know, can continue this conversation. That's awesome. And I appreciate you being here so much. And again, I think that the, the graphic novel, the high desert is fantastic. And anybody listening to this definitely wants to go check it out. It comes out a week from today. Uh, this, uh, podcast will actually come out. I think a few days before it. So it'll be kind of perfect time or maybe a couple days after it. But if it's, if it's out, go buy it. If it's not pre-order it, um, check out the links below and go get the high desert. Cause it's a great, a great slice of American history, essentially in the punk rock community. And there you go. You can see the, uh, the cover <laughs> of the book right there. It's, it's really well done. The graphics are awesome. And I think, I mean, I think I read like a quarter of it in about, 40 minutes or so, maybe even, maybe even less than that. And I was like, wow, yeah, this is awesome. And I read the rest of it in all one sitting. So it's, it's, it's well worth the time, the effort to read it, buy it. And, and like you said, continue the conversation that we're having today. So that way they can see the in-depth kind of characters that you're talking about. So James, I want to thank you so much for being here today and guys, make sure you go to the links below. So yeah, it comes, uh, comes out on, uh, I think this, this comes out next, next Monday, no Monday after. So I think your book will come out before, episode so it already be live um so go right. get it and if you guys like what you heard on the show please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends on social media you can see the full video interview on our youtube channel as well also if you want to check out some of our written content or any of the products or merch that we have available go to poweredbyrock.com to read our absolutely free rocking blog full of album reviews interviews and lists to keep you entertained and find our gear as well so you can pick up some items to play and look like a rock legend that's our show for today we'll see you soon for the next episode until then rock on Supposed to be